you're listening to Dear Alice, a lifestyle approach to interior design. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Dear Alice. We are so excited. How are you, Suhal? I'm so good. Yeah? What are we talking about today? We're talking about the family room, the place where we gather with our loved ones. Our, our kin. Yes. And and the difference of what a family room is versus a living room. Yes. You guys would not yes. believe it, but for all the houses that we get the beautiful opportunity of working on, a lot of people call the living room the family room and the family room the living room. So we thought it would just be really necessary at this point to break down what is a family room and what is the living room. And here's the wild card round. What is a great room? Trick question. Yeah. So in the olden days, um, they would call the family room the room that's adjacent to the kitchen and kind of connected to the kitchen. And that was the room that the TV was in. And really the family gathers and spends most of their time playing board games and doing puzzles. And then there was the invention of the television. And they all gathered and watched TV in the family room. No, I'm just kidding. Netflix happened. (laughs) Yes. Disney Plus. Yeah. So it's just kind of that room that's really connected to the family room. The living room was that beautifully decorated room up at the front of the house that the children were never allowed to go in and all of the delicate collections we're in the living room and the silk sofa that we had the plastic cover on it and was a piano. A, a piano, yes. It's just a room that's no one plays. <laughs> yes. It's a room that's just more dressy mm-hmm. and kind of reserved for our company yeah. and adults. So of course, fast forward today, some people have gotten rid of the living room altogether. Mm-hmm. And so their floor plan might just include what they call a great room. Mm-hmm which is one really large scale room that is connected to a kitchen in an open floor plan, which we also would consider a family room. And they just don't have a fancy living room anymore. Or if they have a great room and a living room, the living room again is the room that's kind of reserved for finery Mm -hmm. and a grand piano or a piano of some sort, a lovely fireplace. It's just a little bit more dressy. So today we're going to talk about the family room. This is the room that you all live in. And I know every one of you has one of these. So we felt like we could break it down and talk about the elements of the family room, the space planning, the textures, the fabrics, the lighting, all of the points that go into designing Mm -hmm. a family room. Yep. In the family room, I think everybody's, when we're discussing with clients what's important to them, this is a really, really important space because this is where they actually live. The kitchen's really important. The family room is very important too, because that's the nucleus of the house, right? And so comfort is usually pretty much at the top of their list. They want to be very comfortable. We'll talk about that Um, and just, yeah, we're going to tell you all the things. Yeah, that's fantastic. So the first question that we have comes from at Mama Longtalski Hillary, and she wants to know, what are your guidelines for grass cloth? Is it as timeless as I think it is? Is there a big difference between inexpensive versus expensive? And my real question, can I do it in my two-story family room or will it just look like stripes? Thanks. Good question. We love grass cloth. Mm -hmm. I think it's totally a classic move. Obviously, we saw it like pop around like in the 60s, 70s. And then like I think our parents all have recollections of like their grandmother's house having it, you know, and so... It's kind of had a resurgent mm-hmm. with like all the wall coverings and we love it for its textural, like what it gives back texturally. Yeah. And we love it in a smaller space that's not so tall. Mm-hmm. You kind of, you, you don't get points for it 
on that second story. Yeah. So it's expensive. You know, there's different levels of grass cloth for sure. You have Tebow and Philip Jeffries and they all have different price points. So you can get some that are, look really good for less, but still, if you put it up that high, you're not getting like, you're not getting the benefits of it. And you're spending a lot of money for that second story. Mm-hmm. And when you said it's too stripey, we don't need to draw that vertical line from the floor up two stories that will create an elevator shaft. So mm-hmm. we would never recommend probably doing it in a big tall room like that, but more in an intimate space, maybe the living room. Yes. Maybe that's where you put your grass cloth. Yeah. I actually contemplated that question yesterday. I have grass cloth in my living room and I was staring at it thinking if this went for two stories, then it might become more about stripes than about the beautiful texture itself, which is the reason why you would grass cloth a family room. So I would say reserve it for your living room or um, a powder bath or a study. Um, you could put it on the Bedroom. back. You could put it on the back of your built-ins and make those look really expensive. Yeah, your bedroom would be beautiful in grass. I love all Do you know what was fun? Grass cloth. Um, we did it in Rachel Parcell's uh, ginormous French laundry room up on the second so level. Good. And it's a really light buttery blonde color and it's super Frenchy in there. And she's got marble countertops and windows for days and um, a big blue antiqued sort of oh cabinet in there and lots of French laundry bins. It could not be prettier. And the texture makes it feel kind of undone and casual. Mm-hmm. There are different weaves. Um, it, I feel like when you talked about our grandparents having grass cloth, uh, I pictured the big chunky weaves in shades of gold and brown, you'd gold pull, and brown. Them too, as you a kid. would. You'd pull the strings out. <laughs> yeah, you'd pick at the rattan chairs. You <laughs> sure would. It was such a textural experience, wasn't it? A pokey one too. Yeah, really yeah, rough. <laughs> yeah. Rubber um, pushing up to the wall. Totally. Today's grass cloths are really refined, and they're thinner, little tiny strands, and some of them have like silver backings that are beautiful from Tebow. That's one of our favorite resources for grass cloth. Philip Jeffries is like the Mercedes Benz of all the wallpapers, um, but their textures, their grass cloths from Philip Jeffries, oh, just a designer's dream. Bananas. So beautiful. Um, as far as differences in like cost, inexpensive and expensive, I, I, I do see a difference between Philip Jeffries offerings and even Tebow's or some of the other less expensive ones. And it's usually like a refined look. Don't you think? And the colorways that they're offered in feel just a little bit more spectacular and special. Philip Jeffries will even weave grass cloths into diamond patterns and do them in black and whites. And they just feel like, oh, do you remember like those Hirachi shoes that were like uh, diamond woven in out of leather? There is that pattern, but on a really micro scale. And you're looking at up close going, whose hands did all this fantastic braiding? It's probably, it's machines. It's not hands, but still it's got a really spectacular, almost a handmade um, element to it that I think is very different than, than the really affordable ones. It feels very, yeah. In addition to grass cloths, they do other textures too, like horsehair. And they yeah. do just like dupioni and like silk ones too and weaving lots of different things. So textually, you can get some really high-end ones through Philip Jeffries. Yeah. They're interesting, like you said, and lots of cool patterns. And it's cool because they'll usually offer it in a grass cloth. They usually offer most things, like murals and things also in like a vinyl. Mm-hmm. A lot of grass cloths come in a vinyl as well. Mm-hmm. And anyway, so. So they're scrubbable yeah. and you could put them in a bathroom. Yeah, which is yeah. so great. There's a huge swing in price. I just from my own personal experience, there was a Philip Jeffries one that I just had my heart on. 
I just knew I was going to do my living room in it someday. And at the very end of the build and at the very end of landscaping, when it was time to order in the paper, I think it was like 20 something thousand dollars to do the one I really wanted for my living room. And I was like, I cannot justify or afford to do that right now. So you can, I mean, you could really honestly spend 20 grand on a room doing it in the good grass cloth if you have a pretty decent size room. So that gives you an idea. So as far as like affordability goes, um, I think it's, I think it is worth doing your research to be able to get the right look and feel that you want. And you don't have to break the bank if you want to get something um, a little bit lower down on scale. Yep. How durable are they? Do you like, do they just grass, co- grass cloth, like, um, last very long? I, and I had it in my house and it was probably, I can't say when it was put up it was the first when we moved in. And I noticed it was like coming off of the backing and kind of just peeling away. I thought it was really cool. I maybe would have left it for longer than I did had it like held up better, but does it, I mean, does it typically do that peel away from the back or is that probably a quality thing? Like cheaper grass cloth. I imagine it's a quality thing and imagine and like, and obviously with age, like any adhesive is going to have some breakdown, mm. right? So like 20, 30 years later, you might have to, you might have ones that are kind of pulling away from the wall. And if it's, you have a good installer and you still have that installer, I'm sure they can like do things to make sure that that can go back on very beautifully and have more long lasting timeline. Mm-hmm. So but if you think about like mm-hmm. adhesives in the seventies versus like adhesives today, I mean, I don't know a great deal about adhesives, but just think about the difference in band-aids from 1970s oh, yeah. till band-aids <laughs> today. Do you know what I mean? Like there's underwater band-aids now. And I just, I think that adhesives are, have come so far. Yeah, and sure. um, I mean, I think it'd be a bear cat to have to remove it if you were buying a house and you did not like that choice, but Maybe from days gone by, it's an easier thing to remove because adhesives were just kind of weaker back then. Yeah, I definitely had a, yeah, it was definitely not an underwater adhesive. It was not the underwater (laughs) Band-Aid of (laughs) of grass cloths. Anyway, we've talked a lot about grass cloths in our living room or in our family room podcast, but um, (laughs) hopefully that answers your question, um, Hillary. We have another question. This is from Aja Kuskowska. And she wants to know, um, console table behind the sofa against the wall, are there height rules, the skinnier the better, as to layer behind the sofa? I have a couch situation, and I hate it pushed up against the wall. So do we. Yes, we are on the same team here. (laughs) Yes. I think that everybody's intention, or anybody that doesn't really know much about design or what to do, their natural instincts are push all the furniture against the wall. So we can do cartwheels in the center. Yeah, (laughs) truly. I don't know why. No, 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 no. There's a coffee table somewhere in the middle of the room that nobody can reach. (laughs) You know, it's just like, they don't know any better in the space planning to pull that stuff off the wall and get the conversation going in the middle of the room. But then when it's off the wall then you're seeing the backs of furniture. And so, yeah, put a console behind it so that there's something that you're walking into the back of that is beautiful. In her case, she's saying she's going to put it up against the wall, but what is the rule for, for that? She says the skinnier, the better, which I think if you have the space in your floor plan, get something really nice and deep because those surfaces are so fun to to style. I know. The nice thing about having a console in any regard, whether it's up against a wall or floating is gives another opportunity for a lamp. Mm-hmm. And also for like, if you have a big long sofa or a sectional or whatever it is, that piece that you're putting up against the wall, it's so great when you're lying there and you have a drink and you're, you're 
you have a great coaster on your gorgeous console table. You yeah. can just like reach back and set it down, mm-hmm. you know, and just like be a cool cat with your arms stretched down. You can grab your drink instead of having it maybe on that cocktail ottoman or table. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it just gives a nice surface for all the things. So totally. we would totally do it, um, especially in front like of a window or anything. You're floating that sofa and not pushing up against the wall, having that console and having two lamps to kind of glow in the window or just glow in the room is such a, I don't know, I think it's such a great trick. Yeah, it's really great. As far as um, height goes, we usually don't like to exceed the height of the back of the sofa. So we don't necessarily want to see your console, but we just, it's a supporting actor. It's not the hero. Um, Unless it becomes the hero if it's not pushed, um, if it's not pinched between the wall and the sofa. If people are going to see it, you need to invest in that piece and make sure it's gorgeous. Um, but in this case, you could probably get away with not spending a ton on it. But if you have the room in your floor plan, go deep. You're going to have a really fantastic time with styling. Yep. And yeah. Don't, and don't go too small, like width-wise. Like, just make sure it's, like, at least, I would say at least two-thirds of the sofa length. Yeah. You know, just so it doesn't get too scrawny back there. And you actually can, like, have that extension to yeah. have a lamp that makes sense in the corner that it needs to be in. Yep. So, Yeah. Get the console, sister. Do, yes. Whatever you need to to not push all that furniture up against the wall. Giving it relief (laughs) like that back there lets the sofa breathe, and it actually makes your space feel more spacious Mm -hmm. by having um, space behind things and not pushing them up against the wall. Yep. That's great. Okay, a few more talking points. So in the beginning, when we're just starting with an empty floor plan for the family room, we are going to probably first figure out the space planning of the room. And then second, we're going to figure out the size rug we need for the space plan that we just figured out. We want to make sure that that rug is large enough that at least the fronts of the furniture pieces, all your furniture front feet need to be on that rug. So that I'm just saying that because a lot of people think it's okay if you put a five by seven in your family room and you just put your coffee table on front. It's the flying carpet effect. Coaster for your coffee table. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's not okay. Ladies and gentlemen, there's no reason to ever buy a five by seven rug. I'm just going to go ahead and say it only for your entry. entry. If you have a great big master bath, you can put it in the middle of your master bath with a big ottoman on it. Um, for the most part, not for a family room. it's really just an entry rug. Yeah. There's not a lot of reasons for five by sevens. Um, it's not for the family room. An eight by 10 is probably also too small for your family room, but that is the minimal size that you should ever be interested in for a family room. We're really looking at more like nine by 12s. If you can get the full furniture piece on top of the rug, front legs and back legs, listen, that's your sweet spot. This is the reason why you're listening to the podcast right now is because you need to know that the nine by 12 or the 10 by 14 is kind of where you're at for a family room to be able to get all of your furniture on it is going to make the room look big. It's going to look expensive. Um, it's going to look really, really well appointed. And the reason why the eight by 10, cause we have, have done that before. Like if they have an existing rug and they need to use it, We'll even layer it with a larger rug that's a jute rug underneath that yeah. to, again, get that larger footprint to make the space look bigger. Yes. Like if you just have just the very front legs, it's fine. That's, 
They're just Pass holding. The they're, they're holding just, on they're by their fingernails. Yeah. They're tiptoeing at the edge of the cliff. Yeah. And anyway, give them some space. Back that thing up. Totally. So, and yeah. if you already have an eight by ten that you've invested in, that's a fantastic rug. But you're like, yeah, you know what? It does feel a little small. To Susan's point, you can get a really beautiful jute rug in a ten by fourteen. Layer that eight by ten on top of it, and it's just a really beautiful Ralph Lauren moment. It's great. A layered so rug layered. is just so sophisticated. Yeah, it's I great. Like that. Okay. Um, okay, so we've already identified that we need a nice big room, we or nice big rug, and then space planning. Um, we usually will look at it in a couple different ways. We like looking at it from an aerial point of view. So you're probably standing in the middle of your room, staring at it. It might be easier for you to even draw it out on a piece of paper, the best you can to scale, and um, consider the entry points to the room, like people are going to come in here or they're going to come in from this side. Make sure that you give enough pathway for people to enter into the room while you're space planning, and then consider your vantage points, like what's going to be the prettiest thing that you're going to see from either point that you're entering the room from. Yep. Often it is like you'll have most family rooms have a fireplace mm-hmm. or a built in or something to kind of boast on that main focal wall. Mm-hmm. That's often opposite like the kitchen range or, you know, like if we're considering most floor plans. And so we're going to want to direct a lot of attention towards that fireplace and towards the TV, but still be smart in our space planning so that I can also have a great conversation with people. And so and in family rooms, we'll again, we'll have the rug and then we'll start to lay out the sofas or sectional. Um, I feel like more like in the last like 10 years, everyone's really, we love sectionals. Mm-hmm. They're really cozy. It's a great spot in a family room to cuddle up and get that prized corner seat. So mm. we'll see how big, like wh- how big the sectional is. We'll make sure that the client likes sectionals. So ask yourself that if you're a sectional girl or if you're like, I'd like separates. Mm-hmm. I want two sofas. So, and then we can start to kind of lay that out on that aerial view on top of the right size rug. Yeah. So yeah. And pathways, we're going to give you a few magic numbers. So um, mm. any pathways between furniture, um, like coming into the room from, say, the entry or from the kitchen side, you're going to want to leave three feet to get. Um, so in between that sofa and where the chair starts, you're going to want a three foot pathway in. Um, same with the three foot pathway out. As far as cocktail tables go, Sue, what's the magic number between the sofa and the cocktail table? You want 18 inches to kind of, it's enough to be able to put your feet up, but it's enough for somebody to walk by. So again, it's not like we haven't pushed any of our sofas to the wall. Mm-hmm. So you have some space there, but 18 inches is the magic number. Yeah. So if you are listening right now and you have a sofa pushed up against the wall and a cocktail, coffee table, Sitting in the middle of your room, you're going to want to grab that and drag it close to your sofa until you're about 18 inches away. That's what it should feel like. And that makes that cocktail table usable. Yep. Yeah. So that's a magic number. Another magic number is um, when it comes to lamps and overhead lights. Your lamp, we've given you this before, I think, in master bedrooms. It's the same for your family room. You at least want a 30-inch tall lamp. Um, if you have shorter things, especially in a family room, then you're going to be playing small Mm -hmm. and the room's going to feel really underdeveloped. So it's, it's a really good, um, grand sort of professional decorating kind of a look to have lamps that are really nice and tall. Also, the nice thing about it is if it's turned on, then, um, it's at a level height level eye wise. Um, so that if you are reading a book, 
Um, and your husband's like watching a game or your wife or your significant other or whatever, they like to read and they don't like the same thing as you, but you want to be together. Then you have a little small point of light to do what you want to do while they're doing what they want to do or vice versa. So, and a trick that I learned in school was just that every seat be at the corner of the sofa, an individual chair, every seat should have a light, a light to read by. So again, you might have one lamp in your room right now you're going to need more, whether that's if you have like a reading chair, a little task chair flanking the fireplace, you're going to want like a little task lamp to just read by or crochet or do whatever handiwork you got going on while said game is on. Yeah. So you want to have a reading lamp for everyone, somebody to be able to turn on. And it's so pretty. We say this all the time. We all look prettier under lamplight. All your furniture, everything looks prettier under lamplight. Yeah. So make sure you adhere to those instructions. And in addition to the reading light, every seat should have a surface to set a drink down on. Mm-hmm. It's so awkward when you are at someone's house for a party and you're like, where do I set my drink down so I can like talk to this person or eat my, my little food, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you have to bounce it on the carpet and you're like, you're, you have anxiety that your drink's going to tip over and then it's going to be a big party foul. So, mm-hmm. or it's like, or you pinch it between your knees, trying to hold on to your glass while you eat your hors d'oeuvre or yeah. something like that. It spills on your pretty dress and it's just the worst. It so. is the worst. And then <laughs> so. you've spilled in somebody else's home. Yeah. That's not your no, fault. No. That's the hostesses for not having <laughs> side tables. No. <laughs> so you need that surface. You need the console table behind the sectional. You yeah. need the cocktail table or at least a tray if you have an ottoman. Mm -hmm. to set some of these things down on Um, those little, again, that reading chair, they should have a spot table to set down whatever their book they're reading, the drink they're drinking, whatever. Every seat should have a light to read by and a surface to set a drink down on. Oh, so best advice. I think that's so great. I, we we walk into, um, yeah. Thank you, Sue. (laughs) Yeah. We just finished our freshman year of design school. Thanks to you. Um, no, I think it's true. We walk into homes to be able to do first time consultations and, they want help, you know, making their room feel finished. And often what you'll see is a sectional and a chair or two chairs. And they're like, I don't know why it just doesn't feel finished. And you're like, well, we need to bring in some tables and some lamps and get used to the right throw pillows and a rug. Uh, it's just that they got started, but they don't quite know how to finish. And it's usually that they don't have any case goods in their room. Case goods are tables, console tables, end tables, coffee tables. So just if you take Sue's advice to give everybody a table and a point of light, um, then I think that you're going to be able to make your own homes feel really complete and really comfortable and usable. Yep. And I feel like even when we're pulling together a design, obviously we're playing paper dolls and printing things out and laying it out and studying the shapes and profiles. It's not until like those case goods, case goods can have a lot of opinion and give a lot of style back to a space because a sofa, most of them, you know, it's a three cushion back, three cushion seat. You know, there's some really rad upholstery pieces that you can bring in that have a lot of attitude, but your case goods have a great opportunity to add some, I don't know, some spice to the area and really start to show your style, what you're into and how you guys want to express yourself. And so when we we're laying everything out, not until we get the case goods and especially the lamps and those details. And then I'm like, okay, this is, this has legs. Yeah. Like now we're getting somewhere because we're starting to get some of that attitude. Yeah. So please like you're, you'll be so excited. You'll be like, this is me. I finally found myself Yeah. <laughs> in your case goods in your lamps. That's awesome. So, yeah. I think along those lines, we should also talk about textures because yeah. people, um, you know, they have questions about what's my color scheme for my family room and how do I develop that? Um, I think that the most interesting rooms have varied textures 
It is a huge temptation for people today because we have so many amazing fabrics that are hydrophobic, that are indoor or outdoor, that we're putting on our sectionals and sofas today that are very kid-friendly, but people are so stoked about it. They want it on everything. And then the entire room is woven and you're like, oh no, we need to get some other piles dry and spell. textures. It is a dry spell. <laughs> no. Yeah. Every room needs like, um, I think every room needs something woven, something leather. We love getting a little skin in the game. It's just a different texture. It's got a slickness. Now listen to me. If you already have a room full of leather, it's time to not do that anymore. <laughs> We've got to get some of these other elements in the scene. Um, so like we slip and slide. It is man. Just yeah, add, just know. add water. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, a little bit of leather in the room. I love it getting some velvet or mohair in there. So you got that high pile, yeah. the woven texture, a little bit of leather. Mohair. Yeah. Why not? So great. Yeah. And then we can t- start to get some of those slicker finishes in through pillows and kind of a glossiness in through accessories. So you kind of want to hit all these different piles and texture notes, but you don't necessarily want a woven, um, really sensible fabric sitting next to another woven sensible fabric. So if your sectional is that, your chairs probably should not be the same thing. Yeah. Maybe go velvet on those or something cozy. Yeah. And also heads up, there are indoor outdoor velvet velvets now that are really great. You would have no idea, but not everything needs to be indoor outdoor um, or super sensible. I think the sofa where the kids and stuff are going to hang out, but those chairs probably aren't that tempting to the kids. So if they're even hundred percent polyester velvet, they're completely cleanable. You don't need to be able to hose those off. You know, I think it's like an insurance statement <laughs> that people are like, I just want to say <laughs> yeah. that it's stain proof and no, not iron. Yeah. Well, I think both of us, like I lived with a hundred percent cotton sofa that had a high texture. Yeah. That was fine. Like totally. I got, like my father-in-law spilled salsa on it. Oh. And I got it right out. At a girl. Shoot. So, and yeah. you live on a hundred percent, like, I don't know if it's all linen. linen. It's all linen. And anyway, so. I think it's just obviously in the way you care for it. If you're really like, again, you have 10 children, mm-hmm. you're like, I can't control this zoo. Go ahead and get kid proof fabric on that sofa. Yeah. But I think for the most part, if you're taking good care of your things, you know, and just using the right kind of solutions and things, you can get a lot of stuff out of some of those things. Definitely. If you love the fabric, you don't have to give it up. Yeah. Amen to that. So definitely mix it up. As far as like color schemes and textures, um, we've said it before. We'll say it again and again. We're going to get so much play out of the rug. Mm -hmm. It's the easiest way to understand what your color scheme is. Once you've got your rug, boom, that's your scheme. Look at all the colors that are happening in it. Know the attitude of the rug and then start dressing for it. If you have the rug already in your home, take a picture of it before you go shopping and refer back to it. And then when you get your your little samples of fabric that you're considering making your sofa in, bring it home, put it on that rug. Make sure you like the undertones with it. Make sure it's the right thing. Um, and you can kind of decide, like if you're traditional, you've got a more traditional rug, then you can sort of decide what that would be if you're more California cool and kind of a coastal modern look then um, maybe you're using a jute rug or something. So then it's the sofa's job to bring some of the, the softer values because maybe the rug is so highly textured, but the rug is going to say everything about you. And I would say, even if you're not ready to purchase a rug, you're like, I want a hand knot. I need it in a nine by 12 or 10 by 14. That's an expensive purchase. Mm-hmm. You know, like at least like do some research and gather what you love. Like gather that inspiration while you're looking at all these things and create some of these mood boards to kind of create Mm -hmm. 
that mm. feeling, that color. A lot of times we'll obviously with clients, we'll have like access to their Pinterest. We'll get some cues from how they're dressing, what they're loving. And then we'll create even like lifestyle and we'll pull like fashion pictures and how they're combining fabrics and colors. And that's a really fun exercise. Like you guys should do it mm-hmm. and just kind of make this mood board for your room. Like, how do you want it to feel? Cause your family's going to be there. You're going to entertain there. It's right off the kitchen. You're going to have, you're going to get a lot of eye play in this space. So make sure you like the feeling of it and that it reflects your lifestyle. Like just yeah. was saying, if you're California, whatever you are, that lifestyle board can like, you can keep referring back to that. So you don't lose your way. Yeah. Like it's the yellow brick road guys. So go ahead and make yourself a lifestyle board. Find the rug. If you can't buy it now, that's okay. But at least you have something to kind of refer to as you're pulling all these fabrics for the things you actually need to sit on. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's great. And I think you can decide, you know, if you're really loungy, super comfortable people, then you're going to want like a cocktail ottoman for the middle of the room so that you can put your feet up and really wiggle down deep in the sofa and lounge. Um, but if you're more of a dressy type and you love to entertain a lot, then maybe you're like, mm, I want a table. I love those nice hard edges against all the soft upholstery. That contrast of, of um, like straight with soft is really beautiful in a space and it entertains better than having a cocktail ottoman. So consider the use of the space and like kind of close your eyes and think if this room is in full bloom and it's Thanksgiving day, you know, or it's game day or it's, I don't know, whatever you like to entertain for, you know, it's the backyard barbecue and everybody comes over. How are the people going to circulate? Where are they going to sit? What are they going to do? And you can kind of accommodate to that. Yeah. And one point I want to make too, we talked a little bit about the sectional, the chairs, you're going to space plan all these things to see what you can fit with these like really healthy pathways. Um, You're also going to have like these, we talk about the little chairs, you know, Mm -hmm. and the sculptural pieces and how important those are because those become like kind of mobile pieces that kind of migrate. Again, when you're having a party and conversations are happening in this corner, in this corner, having those little pieces around are important too, in addition to the big, big pieces. Mm -hmm. So that's great. Another magic number that Corey is going to tell us is Corey, how do you feel about TVs and how, because usually there's a little bit of a, of an argument of how big the TV should be in the family room. In general, men feel more passionately about the size of TVs than women do. I'm not saying that if you're a woman and you're passionate about a big TV that you are wrong. Um, but that is what we have seen in a lot of the consultations we've done. Usually the husband's like, listen, I don't care what you do in the room. You can have whatever you need. But what I need is a 90 inch TV and a recliner. You guys do whatever else you want. You know, he usually cares about very little, but the size of the TV. Corey, is there a magic number in your opinion? Yes. Okay. I did some research on it. I'm buying a new TV myself. We're putting it downstairs, kind of move like that, you know, the family room, like to our downstairs area. Um, So basically you measure from where your TV will be into where you're like, sitting position will be and it needs the tv needs to be half of that size so if it's 10 feet you need a five foot so which would be 60 inch tv so that's kind of like optimal and you want it to be eye level with you you don't want to be like looking up you know what i mean you don't want it like up towards the ceiling and you're sitting you have like a low profile sofa or something so Corey, are you saying you probably shouldn't put a tv over a fireplace Probably if you're from the man's mouth, I even just though want to hear that right <laughs> now, I mean, the reason why we're moving it downstairs right now, it, mine is over my fireplace, mm-hmm. but 
it actually is too, it, it's, it's like too high. Like I noticed but that. You're helping host a podcast and you're like, I, I can't be a hypocrite. For real. I got to move that TV downstairs and look high level at it. Mm-hmm. See my, but then again, I don't necessarily don't feel like I need a huge TV. My sitting area is 14 feet away from where my TV should be. So that's like seven feet. I don't feel like I need that big of a TV. So I'm even going to go a little bit smaller than that. So like 75. Yeah. I know. Good man. That's great. Um, okay. I think that, is that any, is there anything else on the family room that we feel like we should talk about? Uh, how about the overhead fixture in a family room? Do yeah. we, do we need a chandelier in the family room? I think if you're two story, like our first question was mama long Talski, mm-hmm. um, she had a two story family room. In that case, I probably would drop something down from the ceiling just to create some interest and draw your eye up and bring your eye down mm-hmm. with that piece. And so and with that, I, we would usually look at like, again, where's that fireplace happening? What's that? You know, we'd center it usually in the room, which is usually centered on the fireplace and wow. hopefully centered on the grouping. If you do all your space planning, for some reason, your room's weird. You have to like push it over to the right. It doesn't make sense to drop down a chandelier in that center of the room. And anyway, so just consider those things that you'll want your light fixture to be centered on your grouping area relatively and centered on like your windows or your fireplace, or whatever those key focal points are. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, and then and depending on the height of the family room too, we always say like minimum of like seven feet from the floor to the bottom of that fixture, mm-hmm. just for clearance when people are walking by. Yeah, um, unless you have yeah. like a all-star basketball player yeah. or athlete in your life, or just super, maybe just a super tall gentleman. Yeah, or woman. Yeah. Um, then maybe you want to consider seven and a half feet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Cater, yeah. It, cater it to your family. Yeah. That's the fun thing about the family room is you do get to cater it to your family, mm-hmm. how you live. Like if this is where your kids still migrate toys up, then that's where you're like, Hey, I need some storage solutions. So that sofa table that's going to float behind my sectional actually needs storage. I need storage to put all their Lego blocks in it. Totally. Cause they're always like, this is the phase we're in. Yeah. So don't discount how you guys actually live. Cause this is, this is where, this is where you live. And so just really take note that it can still be beautiful, but more, it needs to function correctly for you guys. So anyway, and we think it can be both. Yeah, definitely. So. Definitely. Awesome. Well, I hope this has been helpful, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you have any questions or comments, um, just send those to Dear Alice at alicelanehome.com and we'll make sure and answer them here on our podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. See you next time. Hey, thanks for listening. If you like our show, please leave a five-star rating. 